Well, I want to welcome all of you here today. I know it is Memorial Day, and this is a day traditionally in the United States when we celebrate uh, the death of those who have died in combat and service for the country. Uh, tomorrow, I know, is the actual Memorial Day, but just driving around, you've probably seen all of the cemeteries bedecked with flags, you know, reminding us of the price uh, that was paid uh, by some for our freedom. And I know that um, it's kind of interesting to me. I grew up in a family of, of Marines, a Marine Corps family. And for us, Memorial Day was always traditionally uh, about celebrating those who had gone away, who'd given, as my father used to say, the last full measure of devotion. But I'm noticing that as time has gone on more recently, many families are celebrating uh, any member of their family who was in the service and who has passed away. And even uh, more recently, I see that it has turned into a day, as Josh was kind of hinting at, when we celebrate just the loss of family members. We think of people who were close to us, who meant something to us. It just reminds us of what they meant to us, and that's why we go and visit the graves and we celebrate. And to be honest with you, I think that's a good thing. I think that uh, as we expand out the definition of Memorial Day, that uh, we do remember those who lost their lives in the service of the country, but it's also good that we take the time to remember all those loved ones and the family who have passed away. You know, I uh, uh, come up here with a little trepidation on Memorial Day. There's an old story that they tell about an English church that uh, if you've ever been to England, a lot of the churches will have large plaques on their walls which memorialize, have the names of all those who died in the service of the country, usually in World War I and World War II. And uh, I've seen those plaques. They're, they're pretty impressive. And they tell the story of a little boy who was in church on the Memorial Day. And he was looking at the plaque, and he was looking at all of the names. And the pastor came over to him and asked him, you know, what he was looking at. And he says, well, pastor, what are all of these names? And the pastor said, well, son, those are the names of all those who died in the service. And the young man looked at the wall again for a minute, and he said, really, which one, the 10 o'clock or the 11 o'clock? <laughs> and so I come up here hoping we all survived the service this morning anyway. Well, will you join me in prayer as we begin Father, thank you for today. Thank you for joining us together, Lord, in relationship with you, in relationship with one another. And help us on this Memorial Day to look not just at the memorials that we celebrate here in the United States, but to see your hand and see the memorials that you've planted. And help us, Lord, to find something in those for our own hearts and our lives this morning. In Christ's name we pray these things, Lord. Amen. Well, our passage this morning comes out of a place you might not expect. It comes out of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 20. Moses writes these words that he had directly from the mouth of God himself, God telling him, this day shall be a memorial day for you, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, 
On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is unleavened or what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native in your land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Now, why go there? And the reason is pretty simple. This is the first place that God sets aside a specific day as a memorial. And why do we ultimately celebrate Memorial Days? There's a number of reasons for it. And the first one is obvious. The first reason we celebrate Memorial Day is because it's a day of remembrance. Indeed, God tells us in his word to the people of Israel uh, that the, this day is to be a memorial to them, remembered forever. And he tells them why they're to remember it. He wants them to remember because it was on this day that he brought them out of Egypt. And it tells them how serious God was on that day. How serious it was what he did and what he was going to do. And I find it interesting, by the way, that as I was reading that passage, Passover hasn't even come yet, and God is already setting it aside as a day of memorial. He's still waiting. The Jews, the Israelites, are still waiting for the 10th plague when God brings about the death of the firstborn of Egypt, and he's already setting it aside for a memorial day because he knows the future. He knows that Israel is going to be coming out, and they're going to be his nation, and it's not going to be a, for a short time. He wants it to be forever. So what he's saying to them is he's saying, this is important, and I want you to remember what your situation was. Because as he's writing these words, the people of Israel are still slaves. They've been in Israel for 400, or excuse me, in Egypt for 400 years. They came when Joseph's father brought the rest of the family to Egypt when he was able to save them from the famine. And now it's been 400 years. And God wants them to remember that. He wants them to remember what their situation was. He wants them to remember the hard labor. He wants them to remember that it hasn't been that long since Pharaoh was telling the, uh, the midwives of Israel to kill the male babies when they were born. He wants them to remember the bitterness of the suffering that they were going through. And he wants them to remember one other thing. He wants them thinking and remembering what the price is that was paid to resolve their slavery that was paid to get them out of their slavery. It's interesting, as you, I read through that passage, you probably noticed that the Lord, in reminding them what they were doing, was also laying out a menu of what they were to eat 
he tells them he wants them to have a perfect spotless lamb. You go back a few verses and you can see a whole description in verses 2 to 5 of Exodus chapter 12. It has to be spotless. It has to be kept for four days. And it has to be sacrificed along with the rest of the nation at a particular time. All of these things are setting up for Israel to remember. Remember the slavery that they were in. Because part of what it tells us that they were to eat of the Passover was bitter herbs. And when he talks about bitter herbs, anybody here ever taken a bite of raw horseradish? And yet that was the bitter herb that was to be served at the Passover. So that each member would take a bite of that and remember in the pain and the bitterness. Remember how horseradish can bring tears to your eyes? Bring tears to their eyes as they remember their slavery. And he has the lamb there, the spotless lamb. All the people of Israel are joining together on the evening when they're sacrificed. Every family, they're not going to the priest. They're not doing this all together uh, or at one place at one time throughout the entire nation of Egypt. Wherever there's a Jew who has heard the message, they're sacrificing because God is taking them. And he's turning them from a family that came into Egypt into a nation that's going out of Egypt. They're going to be celebrating with that lamb and remembering it because this was where God stepped in and said to them, the cost of your freedom is the death of this lamb. And it's interesting too. He tells them, keep the lamb for four days. He says, on the 10th day, you pick your lamb out and you take it home, and you keep it for four days, and then you sacrifice it. Anybody here have a puppy? You know what it's like having a brand new puppy in the house? I see that. The puppy wanders around, and it's loving, and it's playful, and you love it. What's it like having a baby lamb in the house for four days? If you're a father and you know what's coming, how do you tell the children, don't get too attached to the lamb when they're playing with it, when they give it a name? because they're getting to know that lamb very, very well until the day comes after four days when dad has to take it out and he has to sacrifice it. And not only sacrifice it, but he has to take the blood of that lamb and to paint it on the doorposts because when the angel of death comes and takes the firstborn of Egypt in death, the death of that lamb is going to serve as a substitute for the death of those Jewish firstborn. The angel will pass over the houses because that lamb was sacrificed. They got to know it, got to kind of love it, maybe gave it a name, and then watched it die so that they would be saved. He wants them to remember what their situation was. He wants them to remember what it cost to get it out of there. He wants them to remember. And I would suggest that for you and I, there's an example here for us too. Because we don't celebrate the Passover. We don't have to bring a lamb into the house. We don't have to bite into a piece of horseradish to remind us of the pain and to bring the tears for the slavery. But just last week, we gathered together. And in the four corners of the room, we celebrated, not the Passover, 
but we celebrated communion. We celebrated another death of another lamb, the lamb of God. When we picked up that cup, we didn't have real blood, but it symbolized the blood of Jesus Christ, sacrificed for us. And we ate the bread knowing that Paul tells us that bread, according to the mouth of Jesus himself, was his broken body, which was broken for us. Remember, when you take communion, that's precisely what we want to do. We weren't in physical slavery to another nation, but we were in spiritual slavery to sin. And when it came time, and God told us the wages of sin is death, he also sent a lamb for us so that we don't have to paint blood over our doorposts, but he put it on our heart when we come to know him. And the angel of death passes over us because Jesus Christ died for us. When you do take communion, remember, remember, that's what it's for. What does Paul say in Corinthians? Do this in remembrance of me. Because every table we take communion, every time the Jews celebrate Passover, it's a memorial day. It's a reminder of where we were and what it cost to get us out of there. But there's a second thing about Memorial Day that I want you to kind of uh, keep in mind because Memorial Day, obviously, as I said, is about remembrance, but what you might not remember or think is Memorial Day is also about reflection. It is about remembering, but it's also about reflecting on what was gained. I just talked about freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from slavery. And it's interesting that as we read through the passage, if you go a few, a few verses back in the book of Exodus in chapter 12, you'll find that one of the first things that God says to Moses is that this is the day you're going to do this on, and from this day forward, this will be the first month of your year. God himself wants them to think about the freedom so much that he is changing the total calendar. He's changing the way they keep their calendar. And he was wanting to put the Passover in the first few days of the first month of the first year. It's a new calendar. It's come. And it's a reminder of how important God sees this. And so he taunts them to reflect on it, on the freedom that is now theirs. And also, you'll notice, I was talking about what they prepare for a Passover meal. You probably heard me use the words unleavened bread about seven times in the passage I read. And you're wondering, why? What's the big thing about unleavened bread? And it's simple. Unleavened bread is a symbol of something new. It's a symbol of total beginning again. You may not see that, but any bread bakers in the audience? Anybody here like to bake bread? I know we don't do it as much as we used to. I am. And I know with COVID, a lot of people were getting in, not just to baking bread again for something to do, but there was a big kick towards the beginning when a lot of people were learning how to make sourdough bread. Because sourdough bread, very good. I happen to like it a lot. Uh, but it takes a little bit of effort. You have to take some flour and you have to take some water and you mix some yeast in with the water. 
and then you let it sit for 24 hours and you let it bubble and rise. And at the end of 24 hours, you rip out half of it, use it for something else, and then do it again. And it takes about two weeks to get a good starter going for sourdough bread. And when you're ready to make the bread, what you do is you take a chunk of the sourdough and you put it in with the flour you're going to use to make the bread and the sourdough leavens the bread, makes it rise, gives it everything you need. A good Jewish mother back in the day we're talking about would have a starter in her house that was leavened and she would put it in her bread and so the bread would rise and she would have risen bread. And yet God is talking about Use unleavened bread for this. Why? Because when you clean out the house of all the leaven, mom's baking starter has to go. It's in the trash. You cannot keep it. It's got to be gone. And all the leaven has to be gone. And so all you can bake is flatbread. Basically, you're baking the equivalent of uh, a saltine cracker. And that's what you eat for that time. And then when... It's over, when Passover is over, when the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is over, then you can have your leaven back. But you've got to start anew. You've got to start that starter again. You have to work to get it going. So you're really starting anew. And that's what the importance of that unleavened bread is. It's a reminder that when the Jews left Egypt, and they were to think about this, when they went into freedom, it was all starting anew. They had a brand new start and they needed to keep that in mind. That's why the unleavened bread is in there. And there's something else here too. I told you that when they came in, it was a family that went into Egypt 400 years before and it's a nation that's leaving. And for the first time, the nation is doing something together. They're doing Passover. They're all getting that lamb. And it's very specific that when they sacrifice the lamb, it has to be after evening on the fourth day. There's a very short window in there when the entire nation, so you would come out with your lamb and all of your neighbors would be coming out with their lambs too. And together you would be sacrificing. And it was happening wherever Jews were in Egypt. So you were building a nation, a relationship between people that up to then had been clans, had been family groupings. They were now becoming a nation. And then another thing, they were getting a promise being fulfilled, the promised land. Moses was there not to leave them in Egypt, but to take them out and to walk them with God's guidance to the promised land, the land that he had promised for them. So they had a guaranteed new future, no longer slaves, but free. But the most important thing was they had a new relationship with God. Up to this point, the relationship with God was on an individual and a family basis. Joseph might sacrifice here, his sons might sacrifice there, families would do their sacrifices all over. Now, they're a nation, <coughs> and very quickly, God is going to appoint priests from them. One of the first things they're going to do when they get out into the desert is build a tabernacle where God will reside and where they will sacrifice. They are becoming a nation with a new relationship with God. They're going to have priests 
to take them there. And I would suggest that for you and I as Christians, if we think back to when we came to salvation, it's the same thing. We didn't get a new calendar the day we got saved, but if you look back 2,000 years ago, the calendar changed specifically when Jesus died. We prefer to the time before him as before Christ. We refer to the time after him as A.D., after death. Our whole calendar, our whole Western calendar is built and starts with the death of Jesus Christ. Just like that first year, that first month starts with the Passover. And for you and I, I would suggest the calendar also really does start again. Because what does Paul tell us? What does Jesus tell us? You must be born again. You have a birthday, a physical birthday that you can remember. But you also have a spiritual birthday, a new birthday, a new calendar for your life. Instead of looking at one day and one month when you came into being, you look at a spiritual day, a spiritual time when you became a Christian, a new calendar. You also have a new relationship with God. Come to know Christ, you go from being dead in sin and unable to have any communication whatsoever with God, and you turn around and all of a sudden, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You speak to God directly. You don't need a priest between you and God because he welcomes you into his presence right then and there and maintains that opening. You have a totally new relationship with God as you think, as you reflect on what happens there. And I would suggest, too, that you have something else you have a guaranteed future. Just as Israel had a guarantee of a promised land, you have a guarantee, a promised land, not physical, but heaven itself. God guarantees that the time will come when you will step into his presence for eternity. Israel left behind its slavery. You've left behind spiritual slavery. Israel went to a new land. You have a new land that you are moving to into your future, heaven. And I want to suggest the one difference is this, that the new land you're getting ready to move to is one that doesn't have illness, it doesn't have sin, and it doesn't have evil. It's a place where you will rejoice in the presence of God for eternity. Reflect on that when you eat the communion. Remember what it signifies, reflect on what it tells you that you have right now because of that. That's why it's a memorial, not just to remember, not just to look back and say that was what was, but to say, and this is what is. This is what is right now. And I would suggest that there's one last point, one last point that goes here, because with a memorial day, there's a responsibility that comes with it. Because not only are we to uh, make it a time of reflection, but we're also to make it a time when we ask what we've done with it. What have we done with what we've been given? It's sad, but as you go through the Old Testament, with all the excitement you would think of being freed, getting the promised land that the Passover would tie in the Jewish calendar, 
literally forever. But it doesn't, and it didn't. It's fascinating to me that if you go to the book of 2 Kings in chapter 23 and verses 21 to 23, it says there, the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant, the Torah, the books that Moses wrote. He says, keep it because no such Passover has been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. And what that says, if you want to count on fingers and toes, is that literally within 70 years of the time that the Passover was created by God, that Israel was already forgetting to do it. The last time you see in the Old Testament when the Passover is mentioned before this is when Joshua has them celebrate the Passover before they cross the Jordan into the Promised Land. And we know that very soon after that, it's not celebrated the way it should be. And by the time you get to David and Solomon, it is simply a simple, an obscure little festival that is celebrated more by second nature than because of what it means and what it was designed for. It was so quickly and so easily forgotten that they need to reflect on it. They had a responsibility, and yet they didn't. And if we're not careful, we too. It's easy to turn communion into something we do by second nature. It happens once a month or so. We go to the corner, we get our bread and our cup, and we pray. But do we really reflect? Do we really remember? Do we really think? Because that's what God is calling us to do with it. That's why he makes Passover a Memorial Day. That's why we celebrate communion, which is a direct descendant of the Passover. Well, one last thing. A Memorial Day is meant to be a time for looking forward. It's meant to be a time not just of remembering and looking back, of reflecting on where we are now. It's also meant to be a time <clears throat> of looking forward. I mentioned Israel becomes a new nation. We become a new person when Jesus comes into our heart, when we come to know him in salvation. We see God bringing a new ministry about Israel. When they were getting ready to go out, they had a future. And their future was in the promised land. But God wasn't taking them there so he could just honor a promise that he had made. He was taking them there because they were supposed to be a nation that would move into the promised land and that would show to the world what it looked like when a nation followed God and honored him and revered him. He would bring blessing. People would look and they would see and they would say, what is it about this God that is so wonderful? And they would come. You notice how it mentions in the passage, it's just a little thing, but it says if the sojourner among you eats leavened bread, he's to be cast out. The point, though, is God is saying that when you're in the new land, there will be sojourners coming, and they will want to know God, and they will look at you, and they will see what you are doing, and they will want that. They will want the God that you worship. And yet Israel closes down. Israel starts to decide, we're the children of Abraham. They're not the children of Abraham. 
we get it all, they don't get anything. They were supposed to take a new ministry. Family, Abraham, that had failed ultimately to show people what God was like when he blessed the family, when he worked with them. Israel becomes a nation so God can show the nation what it looks like when a nation honors him and glorifies him. And he looks at us because when Israel failed at that, he brought in the church. He created the bride of Christ, the church, and says we are to do the same thing. It's a time of looking forward because we can't just reflect on the grace and the goodness that we have. We need to share it. We need to be telling people about it. That's why I like my new trucker hack when I get it and my hoodie when I get it because I want people to look and I want them to say, hmm, I wonder what this is all about. What's this church thing? What's this God thing? I want people asking and looking because we're coming into a time where fewer and fewer people are looking and want to know. There's going to be a hunger. There is a spiritual hunger out there, and it's up to us to feed it. It's up to us to bring about that. We're looking forward. And I want you to see, too, I mentioned that God was developing a relationship. He was doing it with the Passover as the people all celebrated, as they sacrificed their lambs at the same time, they were developing a relationship with one another. There's nothing like shared experience to make a relationship, to bond a relationship. When we celebrate the communion, it's the same thing. We're celebrating, each and every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, no matter what group we are with, when we eat the communion together, we are celebrating something that we share with one another that there are others that don't. And we want to share and develop that relationship because ultimately the relationship we share with one another points up because what bonds all of us, no matter what our background is, is Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. What bound the Jews was God and their relationship with him. We need to recognize that we have a relationship with God and we need to develop and carry on that relationship as we love one another, as we reach to one another, and as we reach to the people in the society around us, wanting them to come join that relationship. It's up to us. There's a relationship that is developed. Now, let me close with this. It has been an extremely hard week for many of us, not just here, but in the country. You cannot look at the news and watch stories about 10-year-olds being slaughtered in a classroom without saying to yourself, where's God in this? What's happening? And I want to suggest to you that as we look at that, we have to be also looking at what we have, what we've just been talking about. God does not stop evil when Israel steps out of Egypt and out of slavery and sacrifices their lamb. 
They go into a new place and they find evil there. God does not stop evil when you and I come to know him as Savior, when we gather together as a church, when we celebrate communion. But what God does do when we celebrate communion, what God was doing when the Jews celebrated Passover was reminding him, you have a relationship with me. He was reminding them of his power that he exercised in their behalf. Ugly as it is, he killed the firstborn of Egypt to buy the freedom of the people of Israel. But he has the power to bring about the freedom when Pharaoh would not, in his evil, give it to them. Jesus Christ, when he comes into our lives, looks at us, and he overcomes the evil that was in our life, that's been in our lives, and brings us to new life, offers us to new life, tells us we have it. My point is that even as we see the evil around us, it can be so easy to get focused on it, to think, this is so overwhelmingly evil. What has God done? Where is he? And the answer is he's the same place he's always been. He has the power to overcome. You and I look to the future. He will overcome evil one day. When I talk about Christians going to heaven, we forget the other half of the equation is this. That is God's love and mercy and grace and action with us. But it is also a reminder that God will bring justice to this world one day. God will repay every evil that has been done. He's not going to overlook a drop of it. He will repay. And that's what we need to fair focus on even as we mourn with those people in Texas, even as we see how evil evil can be, the recognition that it's not going to be gotten away with, that God will bring his justice, that he does love us too, that he has the power, he exercises it on our behalf, and one day he will bring about justice and he will bring about justice in a way that we will see and that will be fierce in its wrath. Rejoice. Remember, as you celebrate communion, you've been saved from that wrath. That wrath will not touch your head when he brings judgment on all who deserve it. And he brings it, but not on us. So find strength in that. Find encouragement in that. Recognize that there is evil around, but the time will come when it will be dealt with. Why don't we go ahead and pray, shall we? Father, we come to the throne of grace today, thankful for your reminders of what you've done for us, thankful for the time to reflect on what it means to us, and thankful, Lord, for the future it lays out before us. But all the most almighty, thankful most of all for your sovereignty, for the fact that you are a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy, but you're also a God of justice. And you will see justice done. 
In Christ's name we pray these things, Lord.